0: Welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm Lynn Galodner, a writer, entrepreneur, and change maker, and I've dedicated my life to sharing stories of how people make meaning in their work and find purpose in their lives. This podcast highlights some of the great ideas and activities people do every day to make the world a better place. So much of the meaning we find comes from interacting with great people, developing relationships that are mutually beneficial, and doing work that inspires. I hope you'll be inspired by the people you meet on this podcast. We all need to find a way to make meaning in the mundane. Welcome back to the Make Meaning Podcast, I'm Lynn Galadner, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Tista Ghosh, a physician trained in both internal medicine and preventive medicine with a master's degree in public health from Yale University. She has also had specialized training in applied epidemiology and public health practice through the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and has served as a lieutenant commander in the United States Public Health Service. She is also an assistant adjunct professor at the University of Colorado. In April of 2018, Tista was appointed by Colorado's governor and confirmed by Colorado's Senate as the first female chief medical officer of the state and director of public health programs. Tista, welcome to the Make Meaning podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here
0: yeah, so let's start at the top. If you could tell me what it means to be the Chief Medical Officer of Colorado <laughs>
1: <laughs> sure. Um, basically, what it means is that I oversee all the public health programming for the state, and that ranges from infectious disease control, like um outbreaks and and preventing or preventing diseases from spreading, sure um, to um. Preventing the leading causes of death, which could be heart disease or cancer, Sure. Um, opiates is, is a hot topic right now. So yes. um, it's, you know, focusing on keeping people healthy as opposed to driving them into the doctor's office. Um, but what can we do to keep people healthy and, and how do we prevent illness? whether it's infectious or chronic.
0: So it sounds like there's a fair amount of public service announcements and education that might go with the work that you do.
1: Absolutely. Um, I do a lot of public service education announcements, Mm -hmm. media-related work. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also a lot of um, policy-related work. You know, what policies as a society um, might... Lead to healthier outcomes. So, for example, in the '60s, forty-five percent of adults smoked in the U.S., and now it's very small. And depending on what state you're in, it can be as low as fifteen or wow, or lower. Yeah. And h- how did we do that? That wasn't, um, you know, just random luck. Um, <laughs> there is there was um, a concerted effort um, at health education, at health policies, which involved passing laws across the country where you basically makes it harder to smoke or you sure. can't really smoke anywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, education that began at, with little kids that grew up to, to not want to smoke. Um, so it, it took a generation, but um, that's improved health outcomes across the country um, far more than than a lot of other things that we take for granted.
0: That's a great example. I, I remember, you know, growing up and um, cigarette smoke was far more prevalent than it is today. And today. Um, if I notice it, I'm. it's sort of like I'm accosted by it because I'm just, thankfully, not used to it anymore. And so it, it's always a question, well, where is that? Where is that allowed? Because there has been such a shift, which is a wonderful thing. Um, but it sounds like in your work, you really have to have patience and the long view, um, knowing that it's going to be a process and take time to truly affect positive change.
1: Absolutely. It takes a lot of patience. I think, you know... It's sometimes with the acute more outbreaks, you know, there's listeria contaminating cantaloupe. Um, that was an outbreak that we had to deal with. You you get the gratification of immediate results. Like we, we tracked down what was the cause, we took it off the market um, and immediately saw a change. And then with other sort of long-term health outcomes, we ju- you just need to be patient and look at what sort of societal things can you do yeah. to change the norm or to change the culture or change the laws um, in order to make a positive impact, maybe not now, but in 10 years or 20.
0: And really have that vision that change is necessary, change is possible, um, and map that out so that it can happen as well. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And to keep pushing.
0: Yeah. So, so you're the first woman to hold this post of chief medical officer in Colorado, right? Yes, I am. So uh, why is that? And what makes you the right woman for this job? Um. You know, I think it's a job. I mean, medicine was traditionally
1: dominated by men. So,
0: sure.
1: you know, that's shifting now, but I think a lot of it is for women, responsibility, mm-hmm. um, you know, you have responsibilities at home, you're dealing with work-life balance and a job like this, you have to be um, on all the time. You don't sure. know if there's going to be a sudden outbreak of whatever sure. in the state or that you have to make a media statement on that, or yeah. there's a hospital that needs to be shut down because of, you know, bad infection control practices or sure. unsterile equipment. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, that sort of being on is, is in my um, experience um often difficult for women of childbearing age who sure. are dealing with um their families and I'm fortunate that I have a husband who um is very supportive and mm-hmm. contributes yeah. to our family I would say equally and and not a lot of women have that.
0: Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. It's it's great to hear. I have four children of my own who are teenagers and one of my daughters is eager to be pre-med. She's going to be a junior in high school this fall. And um, so she's very excited to be a doctor and she has this whole vision and she talks a lot about, you know, well, when would I get married and when would I have kids? And right now she's just thinking about college and then med school and then residency. But, um, but I think that there are a lot of challenges. So I, I'm wonder, wonderfully excited to hear that you hold this post and can be a role model for girls like my daughter and others um, and for boys, too, who um, can see a family that works together that way. So that, that's really wonderful. Um you Thank have a you. you have an illustrious background of training and disciplines and I'm wondering what motivated you to build a career in public health and wellness like why why were you motivated to take your medical expertise in that direction?
1: Yeah, so I I was an internal medicine doctor and worked um a lot in in primary care Mm -hmm. and saw a lot of the same patterns over and over, you know, people with high blood pressure, people with diabetes, people with high blood pressure, people with diabetes, people, you know, (laughs) it's every day. Yeah. And I I I started to think like why? Um, you know, I I can I can fix this or sort of try to patch the issue. Yeah. But why are people ending up here? What are the patterns that are causing this? Yeah. And can I make a bigger impact by addressing those root causes. Sure. And so it really got me more interested in, in kind of the societal factors that determine health. Sure. And um, those are bigger than the doctor's office. In fact, a lot of studies have found that really only 10% of your health is actually determined by the care that you have, the healthcare. Really? The rest is either... Your societal, the societal conditions that you're, you know, part of or born into, mm-hmm. um, your genetics, um, and the environment that you're in, and the behaviors that you you take part in. So, sure. you know, I wanted to be part of the the, you know, ninety percent, and look at at what what could I influence in that ninety percent. Sure. Um, and so it it kind of um opened my eyes um mm-hmm. to all the other factors that that influence health and and I wanted to be someone who helped people stay well. Yeah. And and not just wait till they got sick.
0: So that's a beautiful goal and I wonder if you could share with our listeners what you have determined are essential factors for good health. You know, are there certain things that you know, if you do X, Y, and Z, you have a better chance. Um, this may be stuff we already know, but it it never hurts to hear it again. (laughs) No, absolutely.
1: I mean, health behaviors play a huge role Mm -hmm. in keeping you healthy. Um, you know, this will sound, uh, cliche, but you know, not smoking, (sighs) um, not drinking to excess, um, diet, exercise, Uh um, you know, watching sugar intake, those kinds of things make a huge difference in the, in the long run. Uh Um, that, and you know, there's a lot of other societal issues that might impact your health. You might live in a neighborhood where you're less, you're less healthy than somebody who lives in a different neighborhood. And that might be due to larger factors like poverty. Um, in fact, the world health organization has, has, Said that poverty is the greatest cause of disease. Ooh, so okay. there are, are bigger issues than than just the individual, but I think um, the individual can impact their own health right. just by um, taking charge of their own behaviors and and making sure that they optimize their health.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting stat from the World Health Organization, and I wonder, you know, I would hear that and think, what could I possibly do to fix it? Um, and I, I would feel a little discouraged because if poverty is is the largest risk factor um, in health, then how do we collectively help people Rise above that and get to better health. I mean, how? I guess you're in a position where you right. start to look for solutions. Somebody like me would say, "Wow, that feels daunting." But where would you start mm-hmm. in that conversation? Where would that begin?
1: Yeah. So I think um, with with poverty, um, a lot of that starts with with education. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, access to quality education mm-hmm. and early childhood education okay. can make a difference. And in Colorado, um, we were able to just pass, um, free full day kindergarten.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Um,
1: so that to me is that a win, not just for education, but for health, because okay. those kids, um, will probably have better health outcomes in the long run. Okay. Um, so, you know, looking at the long game mm-hmm. and, Kind of like that smoking example, you know. In the '60s, it was daunting to think that, you know, smoking was really a cultural norm. It was, you know, if you've seen Mad Men, it was yeah. it was the norm. So yeah. to think that you could ever make it not the norm, right, um, would seem impossible. Sure, but you have to start somewhere, and you have to map out and try. Right. and we did it. Yeah. Um, so I think there's other areas where we can. Um, Make a difference, but know that it's the long game and and know that if you don't start trying um, and if you just give up, then nothing will happen.
0: Yeah. So I, I imagine I'm making an assumption that when you started your medical career, you didn't know you'd end up here. Um, did you know that you wanted to work in public health or was that something you discovered along the way? Like you said, when you were seeing trends in your practice, did that help you to sort of find a different direction and pivot what you were doing? Yeah, I had never heard of public health,
1: (laughs) to be honest. (laughs) Uh Um, um, When I uh, started med school, I had no knowledge of it at all. Okay, Until my fourth year of medical school, I did a uh, internship mm-hmm. with the World Health Organization in Geneva. Okay. And that was my first real exposure mm-hmm. to public health. And I found it fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I specifically looked for a residency program that offered um, preventive medicine, which which is sort of public health for doctors. Sure. and. Um, and uh, uh, internal medicine. I still wasn't sure that I wanted to do that, but I knew I wanted to be exposed to it. Okay. Um, but it was later as I, you know, started seeing patients in internal medicine that I, I realized really that's that was more the way I wanted to go.
0: So it's it's an interesting question because on this show, we talk about how people make meaning in their work and find purpose in their lives. And um, I'm actually doing an episode um, soon about um, my 30th high school reunion and where we were 30 years ago when we were about to graduate and where we've ended up and how we've gotten here. And so um, I, I want to put that question before you about purpose and meaning, you know, is it that you follow your passion and your work and you see where it takes you and the purpose sort of arrives or um, is it the other way around where you, you feel, you know, this sort of quest to um, make change, make a difference. And so then that directs your work. What what has been the experience for you?
1: So for me, I think I, I always felt like I wanted to make a difference. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm driven by, the need to feel like I'm contributing. I never thought I would change the world alone, <laughs> uh-huh. but um, I needed to feel like I was contributing to something greater than myself or sure. my own sure. family or my own, you know, monetary gain. Sure. I just didn't know how I uh-huh. needed to contribute. Okay. Um, and I, I would say if I looked at my high school self, I knew I wanted to do something um, that helped people, that helped others beyond me, but I didn't know how. Um, I feel that I stumbled upon the how, but I always knew that I wanted to go in in sort of a a helping direction. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Have some purpose, really, really um, affect change in some way. That's wonderful. Mm -mm. So I wonder if you might have advice for our listeners about what they can do to um, help with that sort of societal wellness perspective? You know, what can each of us do um, to make our communities a little bit healthier? Um, our families, mm-hmm. are there, are there easy steps that everyday folks can take?
1: Absolutely. I think easy steps are starting with your own behaviors. Um, mm-hmm. You know, be sure to make yourself healthy, uh-huh. take care of yourself, uh, Exercise. You, you know, wa- you know. Be cautious about what you're eating, what mm-hmm. you're inhaling. <laughs> um, be <laughs> um, be aware of um, the things that you need to <sighs> to feel well. Whether it's sleep mm-hmm. and getting enough sleep, whether it's um, you know, not. Drinking as much, um, you know, it's that a lot of that might be individual, but, um, sure. you, you can make a difference just starting with you sure, and, and then influencing your family around you. Um, yeah. if you want to work on bigger societal issues, you know, there's so many different ways to volunteer your time, mm-hmm. um, whether it's worth working on, you know, poverty eradication or food insecurity mm-hmm. or, um, you know, getting people quality education. I think there's a lot of ways to impact health um, by addressing these societal issues.
0: Sure. So um, I just want to touch on, um, before we finish our conversation, touch on a few of the bigger health concerns that we're facing these days. You mentioned one earlier, the opioid epidemic. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's huge in Michigan where we are based. Um, it sounds like it's a problem in Colorado. Um, it's really far and wide affecting so many people. Um, I'd also like to even touch on, you know, this issue of vaccines recently with the measles outbreak. So mm-hmm. I, I wonder if you might weigh in a little bit on both of these crises and um, you know, what, what is your perspective on how we got here and what we need to do to, to get out of this, this path?
1: Sure. Um, I think with the opioid crisis, um, there was the, I, I would say a misunderstanding mm-hmm. in the medical community about how addictive some of these drugs were. Okay. And I think we're working very diligently um, in partnership with all kinds of specialties. Okay. Um, to reduce. Opioid prescribing,
0: okay,
1: inappropriate opioid prescribing. There, there are people who legitimately need it sure. um, for pain, but for those who who don't, you know, I had surgery and got a ninety-day supply, and I took like two days' worth. Sure, um, <laughs> and and then that sat in my cabinet. Yeah, um, and a lot of times it's not the patient hmm. who's becoming addicted. It's it's a lot of times the. Teenager in the house who's searching through mom's cabinet.
0: Oh wow! Um,
1: or grandma's. Yeah. So taking those, making sure to to be um, taking those out of the supply, so to speak. Sure. Um, by a lot of states have have take back programs, medication take back programs, where they, you know, you can drop off uh, prescription drugs. Sure. So you take them out of the supply mm-hmm. for maybe. Others who are not the patient um, right. that it was even prescribed to to begin with, um, you know, and I, I think we're starting to make a dent, but it, it's it's going to be a long process. Yeah. Um, again, like smoking, it's it's not something that'll change overnight, but we need to keep diligently chipping away at the issue.
0: You um, know, we work with um, a few nonprofits in our marketing and PR work that provide foster care and adoption from foster care. And there are so many children who have been affected um, because of the opioid crisis, whether a parent overdoses or just loses parental rights, or um, there's just a dire need that we're seeing. Um, and that's been sort of like the ripple effect of this. It's not, it's never just one person. So um That's a, it's a big concern, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that, you know, there could be an end in sight that, that we're working diligently as we can to, um, to stem that, that, that path. Um, What about. You know, I, this is a hot button topic and I don't even know if we should go down that path. But um, mm-hmm. the whole vaccine issue um, uh-huh. with the measles outbreak, you know, there are people who are so passionate on every side of that issue um, who believe that they're doing what's in their family's best interest. Um, but from a public health perspective, you know, how can how can we frame that and understand it um, you know in a really diligent way i i know people who are fearful of vaccines because of you know worries that they'll have adverse effects or that they're pharmaceutical driven as opposed to public health driven and um you know then we have an outbreak of a, of a really infectious illness and so mm-hmm. so what what would you say you know and this is a a real hot topic <laughs>
1: It's a real hot topic, especially for Colorado. Actually, we have oh. some of the worst vaccination rates in the country, especially for the measles vaccine. So really? it's a big topic here. Okay. And we're we're qu- we're trying trying our best to raise rates
0: uh-huh. um,
1: because you need a certain amount of what what they call herd immunity, which right. is a certain number percentage of the population has to be vaccinated in order to protect those who cannot be vaccinated. So. I would say, um, from a public health perspective, um, several things have happened. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there, and um, measles vaccine has been around for a long time. But there was a uh, fraudulent physician who mm-hmm. claimed that it caused autism. Yeah, um, mm. and his work was refuted, and I think you know he there was. Some actions taken against him, okay. But for some reason, that hasn't necessarily hit the public the way it should. That that was fake. That fake data. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but I think another thing that people don't realize is they haven't seen these diseases in a long time. I've I've had the opportunity um, to work in other countries where I've seen vaccine preventable diseases. Um, you know, I've, I've worked on polio outbreaks. I've, I've, I've seen what these kinds of diseases can do. And I think um, people don't realize like measles can, can really, it can be potentially fatal, yeah. especially for very young children. And it's not just about your own children. It's actually a public safety issue. Um, so there's, you know, young children under the age of one who can't be vaccinated. And you're, you're potentially exposing these children to a dangerous virus that might kill them. And, and those kids have the right to be safe Yeah. Um, as, you know, I mean, it's, it's not just about your kids. It's not a, just a, you know, it might be, you know, the rights of your kids or you as a parent to, to choose what's right for your kid, but you know, that other child also has the right to live.
0: Absolutely. And
1: I personally, as a parent, have experienced that. Um, my son was born um, early and was in a NICU and oh, wow. um, was, you know, on, on oxygen. And I had to choose a child care center for him, at, yeah. you know, at a, at a very young age. Sure. And it was terrifying to me to think he might be with other kids who are not vaccinated. Sure. And, you know, I can't protect him.
0: I think that story isn't told enough. You know, people don't hear that side of it um, from a, you know, real um, specific example to know what the outcome could be and, and to have a face on it. I think that makes it a little bit more digestible. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think more parents need to talk about, um, you know, my kid can't be vaccinated because of a variety of issues, their age, they're allergic, whatever the issues might be. sure. and and they have the right to feel safe
0: absolutely. And it is about safety. And I think that is a great word to sort of p- pivot the story and and reframe it. Um, which I would put in the hands of our public health officials, right, <laughs> to tell that, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that we can, we can really change the narrative so that um, more people are on board and understand what's at stake. Well, Atista Ghosh, I've just really enjoyed speaking with you. Um, I could probably go on for hours, but I've taken enough of your time, and I just want to thank you so much for joining me on the Make Meaning podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galodner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'd love it if you would share our great conversations with your people so we can all add meaning wherever we go and whatever we do.